Welcome to Path of a Green Witch Podcast. My name is Andrea, and I am your host. In previous episodes, I've talked a little bit about the poison path, and I realized that I might have given people the impression that I, like, dabble in drugs or something like that, and I want to clarify and say that I do not. I've never experimented with drugs. I guess I should say I've never tried anything that wasn't prescribed to me, other than alcohol, which we know is a drug. But when it comes to things like whether you call them entheogens or psychedelics or like recreational drugs like cocaine, opiates, things like that. I've never tried any of them, but I believe strongly that that is a very personal choice, so I definitely don't throw shade at people who do choose to experiment with entheogens, psychedelics, uppers, downers, whatever. I do have an appreciation for cannabis, and I will leave it at that. Anyway, in this episode, I want to talk a little bit more about the poison path and the three ways of the poison path. But before I get into that, just a little TMI. My reason for not ever experimenting with drugs is that I witnessed my father enjoy drugs a little bit too much maybe and all of the negative repercussions that came from that. Ultimately, my father was incarcerated and then deported back to Honduras and that was super painful for me. So I always associated recreational drugs with the bad things that happened in my childhood. So that was my reason for just not being interested in drugs at all. But as someone who is interested in herbalism, I think it's important for me to understand all of these different substances. Another reason I think it's important to understand the substances is because let's say you're like me and you decide that you're not going to use drugs, you're not going to experiment with them or whatever. And also, I did not want to be in a relationship with anyone who did have a drug problem. That was like one of my main rules. And I found myself, I wouldn't say in a relationship with, but mixed up with someone who is definitely addicted to methamphetamine. And I didn't know the signs of that because I had no experience with that drug or with anyone who had done that drug. So I think it's important to understand these substances and to know the signs to look out for, whether you're concerned about your child maybe experimenting with drugs or other people that you let into your life. You have to be really careful because this person that I'm talking about is actually the father of my youngest child and he became so obsessed with me and even to this day like I currently have a restraining order against him because he is so weird. He's one of those people that might not initially seem dangerous because he actually tries to like form a relationship and seem friendly but he always has some kind of like weird ass plan and he's just bizarre and this is an example, and I'm sorry if this just seems like too much information, but we were in a sort of situationship where I was totally okay with like doing stuff with him, so to speak, but he felt the need to sneak into the bathroom and film me and take pictures of me while I was showering without my knowledge. If he had asked me for something like that, I probably would have said yes, but because he's such a creepy weirdo with like voyeuristic tendencies and stuff, he just always felt the need to overstep my boundaries and to do things that would just come off as really inappropriate and strange. So back to the whole drug thing, it's important to know the signs to look for. That's why I have been so interested in learning about this particular corner of herbalism, dealing with harmful substances. 
In this episode, I want to talk about the three ways of the poison path. This information comes from a book called The Poison Path Herbal, Baneful Herbs, Medicinal Nightshades, and Ritual Entheogens by Kobe Michael. I have mentioned this book before. I highly recommend it. There is so much good information in it, but in this episode, I am going to be talking a little bit about the substances, the herbs, chemicals, whatever, but I really want to focus on the deeper understanding and the deeper associations for these different types of substances. The division of three forms the foundation for many pagan cosmologies, but that division of three is also represented in the Judeo-Christian religions as well. Christians often speak of the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In pagan cosmologies, the division of three reflects the universal divisions of nature creation, sustainment, and destruction. The creative forces of the universe being triple in nature are reflected in the tree of life and the triangle of manifestation, which are used by traditional witches. This principle is rooted in the metaphysical belief that the three components of time, space, and energy must come together to manifest something. Some witches will use a triangle on their altar because the triangle is the first geometric shape that's created by connecting three points, and triangles can be positioned to gather or direct energy depending on the orientation of their points. The Kabbalistic Tree of Life also reflects these threefold cycles with three spheres at the top arranged in a triangular fashion. The supernatural forces at the uppermost branches of the tree correspond to the spheres Kether, Bina, and Chokma. In the triangle, the first and uppermost point is the entity of the universe, Kether, the divine source. Bina is the void that holds all the potential for creation and life. It is the universal womb. Chokma is the active perpetuating force. It is the impetus and spark of life that initiates creation. So the image of the triangle of art, also called the triangle of Solomon, holds the creative forces of the universe. The triangle is the first of the three-dimensional forms. It's the shape of the planetary force of Saturn. It rules manifestation and crystallization. The top point of the triangle represents the void or source of life. It is the feminine sphere, Bina, which is balanced and supported by the male and female representations of divinity as Mercury and Venus. This formation can be used when the nature of the world is celestial, outward, or spiritual in nature. It is the upward-pointing masculine triangle representing the rising flame and active principle. The inverted triangle, on the other hand, puts Saturn in the lower realms. It represents materialization and internalization of spiritual forces, allowing us to go deep within ourselves. Its energy moves in an earthward and inward direction. There is a lot of power in these symbols that we use, and this symbol of the triangle with the circle inside, the Triangle of Solomon, seems to represent the shape of the planetary force of Saturn. But Saturn is just one piece of what this triangle represents. It also represents the divinity 
quality of Mercury and Venus as well. Conjuration is one of the main focuses of the art magica. Conjuration utilizes ritual and spell work to access arcane forces to manipulate the movements of nature and redirect the affairs of humankind. Conjuration is the territory of the sorcerer. Witchcraft makes use of the gifts of nature. In witchcraft, we often use glyphs. A glyph is a pictograph or symbol that expresses in its shape the energy that it symbolizes. There are glyphs for baneful herbs such as deadly nightshade, black nightshade, bittersweet nightshade, and so on. And there's also a glyph for fly agaric mushrooms. Glyphs can be used for working magic or getting in touch with the spirit of a plant. Drawing a glyph helps focus your mind on the plant you want to connect with and on your intention. Lighting candles and incense can also help you get into a ritual mindset. While you're drawing the glyph, you should think about the qualities of the plant and its history. This is how you would imbue the glyph with the energy of the plant. Once the glyph is complete, you want to sit in meditation on the glyph and record any flashes of insight that you receive during or after this ritual. You can sleep with the glyph under your pillow to see what comes through in your dreams. Oftentimes, that's how plant spirits will communicate with us. Now I want to talk a little bit about the threefold cosmology in mythology, witchcraft, and alchemy. We see this threefold cosmology of ancient pagan cultures in numerous settings and forms. We often see three cauldrons as energy centers in Celtic mythology, or the division of land, sky, and sea, or even the widespread cosmological divisions of upper, middle, and lower worlds systems of Norse and Germanic cultures, and these ideas have made their way into the modern pagan movement as well as into the religion of Wicca. The triangle and triple spiral represent this threefold worldview. They have adaptations in Solomonic magic and traditional witchcraft. Then there are the archetypal forces of Saturn, Venus, and Mercury, which are aligned with the currents of magic, witchcraft, and plant lore. These provide powerful allies for your craft. The three cosmic forces have prominent roles in magical herbalism and the craft of the witch, and when these patterns are recognized, they are undeniable. These patterns represent the traditional core aspects of the witch's practice as a means of discovering, integrating, and using the environment. By investigating the spirits and the plants that are connected to them, we gain a deeper understanding of the powers that are available to us. The gods and their stories are keys to unlocking the deepest forces of the natural world and those elder spirits recognized by our earliest ancestors. One thing that these three recurring forces of the classical pantheons have in common is their universality and their connection to magic. Their nature is recognizable in numerous ancient pantheons that run deep into the darkest depths of history, going back to Sumerian and Babylonian mythology. These ancient spirits of the Middle East made their way from the fertile black land of Egypt, crossing the Mediterranean, and migrating to Europe, where they were reunited with their northern manifestations. The ancient gods of Scandinavia, the British Isles, and those dwelling deep in the forests of Central Europe have the same root. They started their journey in the cradle of civilization. Early nomadic groups spread their worship across the continent, where gods and goddesses of similar characteristics and names seem to have arisen independently. Their common origin
origins lost to time and memory. Here, the author is talking about how different cultures seem to have traditions that are very similar, and they have origin stories that are also very similar, but we seem to have forgotten how these stories really originated and how we are all just one people who kind of spread across the land. When you break it all down, you see that there are so many similarities. We must be just one people. I think we focus a little too much on our slight differences rather than embracing the things that really bring us all together. In the symbolism of alchemy, Saturn, Venus, and Mercury all play prominent roles in representing one of the three various stages of transmutation. Saturn represents the first negretto phase of blackening, Venus represents the second albedo phase of turning white, and Mercury represents the final stage of rubedo or reddening. The interplay of these three stages comprises the magnum opus or great work of the alchemist and the crossroads of the poison path. Now we're going to go through Saturn, Venus, and Mercury and what they represent. Saturnus, the old one, Venus, queen of the craft, and Mercurius, the magician. Saturnus is the god of great antiquity, but his origins are obscure. He's said to be the son of Gaia or Terra and Uranus or Achelous, and the grandchild of Aether and Dias, the most ancient of all gods. Aether embodies the pure air of heaven, and Dias is the embodiment or goddess of day. Saturn was one of the titans who lived in Olympus and ruled Earth. According to a prophecy, Saturn would be overthrown by one of his sons. To avoid this outcome, he devoured his sons as soon as they were born, but one, Zeus, escaped this fate and later forced Saturn to regurgitate his siblings. Zeus and his siblings deposed Saturn and Zeus ascended the throne. Then Saturn was exiled from Olympus and he fled to Latium, the land that would become Rome. In that land, Saturn shared the kingdom with Janus. Saturn taught taught the Romans the art of cultivation and agriculture, helping them work the land so that the land would release her bounty. The time of Saturn's rule was known as the Golden Age. This was when men and beasts lived in harmony and had all they needed given to them through the bounty of Earth. But Saturn is also known for binding people with chains of brass when he taught them the concept of a system of currency. In ancient Rome, it seems that Saturn held a much more positive role, acting as benefactor and teacher to humanity, in contrast to the negative reputation he had with the ancient Greeks. Saturnalia was an ancient Roman festival in celebration of Saturn, and it was originally held on December 17th, but later expanded to December 23rd. During Saturnalia, social norms were inverted. Masters served their slaves in good humor. Saturnalia was all about feasting and celebration in excess. All of this feasting and celebration was done in remembrance of the bygone golden age of man. But during the Middle Ages, Saturn lost most of his more positive attributes and became known as the Greater Malefic. Saturn became connected with witchcraft, the devil, and dark places unknown to man. Saturn was the last of the visible planets of antiquity. It was thought to occupy the border between the known universe and the abyss. Saturn, the god, and 
and the planet are the great intermediary between the inner solar system and the outer planets. Astrologically, Saturn rules the sign Capricorn, which begins in the winter solstice. This means Saturn is present during our most difficult and transformative experiences, which crystallize our will and force us to push ourselves beyond our perceived limitations to where our true purpose lies. On the outer boundary of the inner solar system, his perspective is one of long periods of time and slow movements. Saturn is wise father time, who has seen the passing of ages. He is saturated with years and sometimes depicted as a wizened old man with a long beard. Now let's talk a little bit about Venus, queen of the craft. In magic, sorcery, and green witchcraft, Venus is identified as the feminine counterpart of Mercury. But the planet most opposite to the forces of Venus is actually Mars, because Mars represents complete masculinity, aggression, and the iron of Earth. Mercury has more in common with the witch star. Both Mercury and Venus are connected to magical practice and have a transformative planetary movement movement and multifaceted nature. Like Mercury, Venus has a light and dark aspect, spending part of the year in the morning sky and part of the year in the evening sky. Venus also exhibits phases just like the moon, going from a period of waxing from a sliver to an apogee of fullness and then waning back to a sliver. Many of the goddesses associated with magic are triple in nature, exhibiting these phases which represent the cycles of life and the ebb and flow of the universe. Venus's triple nature also allows her to exist simultaneously in the three realms. Venus is the quintessential creatrix, sustainer, and destroyer. In her position as the morning star, Venus is the light bringer who heralds the rising sun. She is Lucifera, the feminine counterpart of Lucifer, bringing the illuminating power of divine wisdom into the awakening consciousness. As the evening star, she accompanies the sun on its journey into the the underworld, casting her starry robes over Earth. Astrologically, the planet Venus has notable connections to the other world and witchcraft in particular. Her path around the sun when it crosses the orbital path of Earth creates five points every cycle that, when connected, create a perfect pentagram. Venus is also connected to the most ancient goddesses of the moon and stars, such as Luna and Ishtar. Like the other manifestations of the great goddess, Venus is both nurturing and destructive, ruling over plants of healing and poison. With her enchantments, she can inspire love and just as quickly take it away. Venus is a patron of the venereal arts, one of the specialties of the famous Thessalonian witches, known for their aphrodisiacs and anaphrodisiacs. Using her knowledge of the plants of the witch's garden, she is credited with the creation of love filters and elixirs of beauty and immortality. The words Veneficus, Venefica, and Venom all have Venus as their root. To the green practitioner, Venus is an important ally, ruling the fertilization and abundance of the natural world. Lastly, we have Mercury, Mercurius, the magician. Mercurius is the magician, trickster, and shape-shifting shaman. He is credited with gifting humanity with the arts and sciences. Mercury wears many masks and is the progenitor of civilization. But Mercury was also linked to the devil of folklore. He shares much in common with other deities that descended to teach early humans the way of language and alchemy and the power of symbol. Prometheus
Prometheus, Loki, Lucifer, and Thoth were responsible for delivering the fire of inspiration and craftsmanship to humankind. They are all intermediaries of the spirit world, the material realm, and the abode of the ancestors. Acting as messengers of the gods, they also serve as arbitrators, settling many of their disputes. On the one hand, Mercurius is associated with mediation. Mercurius reasoned with the gods, helping them reach agreements. His words had the attention of Jupiter Zeus, the king of the gods. Mercurius acted as the king's advisor, just like Merlin did for King Arthur. Thoth, who was the Egyptian scribe god and inventor of writing and magic, played a similar role, arbitrating disputes among the gods and presiding over the judgment of the dead. On the other hand, Mercurius is associated with tricksters and shapeshifters, using his magic to distort perception, creating chaos among the gods. He is known for his powers of flight and transformation. These are reflected in the planetary movement of the celestial body bearing the same name, Mercury. Mercury, the divinity, and the planet is a spirit of dark and light sides. Part of Mercury's transit is spent below the horizon in the underworld and in the human subconscious where the shadow dwells. Mercury then ascends to mid-heaven and journeys about the horizon, exalting himself as he spends time among the stars and gods of the heavens. This nocturnal and diurnal dance is further transformed by Mercury's regular retrograde motion. Similar to a shaman who dances backward and the witch who walks her circle Wittershins to cast spells of blight and call up shadows, Mercury rains down discord upon Earth four times a year. This change in perspective and forward motion reminds us that there is wisdom in transformation and repetitive cycles lead to stagnation. So that was a little bit about the threefold cosmology in mythology, witchcraft, and alchemy, and about Saturn, Venus, and Mercury. At the crossroads of the poison path, the powers of the three realms intersect. The nuanced language of plants and their hidden powers help us uncover the secrets of the most ancient entities that have survived the millennia by changing their masks as their true essence is contained in the lore of the witch. Each of the plants of this path contains a piece of all three of these elder spirits connected by their roots that are nourished in the depths of the lower realms. Mercury the magician teaches us how to fly, how to leave our bodies and descend to the depths by changing our shape, flying with wings or slithering into the roots of trees. Venus teaches us to recognize our inner power and our own triple nature. She shows us how to make illusions and enchant the world around us. Where Mercury rules the writing of spells, Venus rules the mixing of potions and ointments that bring us vision and destroy our enemies. Saturn is the great father of it all. He is the witch father and horned master of wild places. On one side, he is the gatekeeper, the great tree that connects the world, and on the other side, he is the devourer of souls who reduces us to our skeletons and reassembles us, thereby marking us. There is so much more that I have to share about the poison path and about Saturn, Venus, and Mercury, but I hope you found this informative so far. Thank you so very much for taking some time to listen to Path of a Green Witch podcast. I also want to take a moment to say a very special thank you to the supporters of Path of a Green Witch podcast. John Shields, Ray, Jason Holt, Jamie L. Spencer, Tori Polskull, and Nicole Mims. Thank you very, very much for supporting Path of a Green Witch podcast.